Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mission and Meaning, a monthly podcast that connects you with the important mission-related learning and work happening around our Sacred Heart community. I'm your host, Ben Sue, Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Access, and a member of the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy. For this spring and summer, we'll be continuing to explore the theme of restorative practices by hearing from different voices in our school community, from both educators and students, about how they've been thinking about, offering, and benefiting from restorative practices in our SHS community. Our guest for this episode of Mission and Meaning is Maggie Meyer. Maggie is currently a 9th and 11th grade English teacher at the prep, and she's also previously taught English at our middle school. And I've been fortunate to have had the chance to work with Maggie over the last couple of years as co-chairs of our school's Racial Justice Task Force. For this episode, Maggie will share about how restorative justice was a central theme in the first event of our school's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Access, or DEIA, speaker series that occurred on March 16th. The event and the speaker series are part of Sacred Heart's ongoing work to help all of us, students, families, educators, and even our local community, better understand and care for one another with all the important histories, identities, and gifts that each of us possesses. A few years ago, when the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and Trayvon Martin gripped the nation, they also galvanized a movement within the Sacred Heart community. Much as we saw on the national level, these events also spurred on a local level an urgency to closely examine systemic policies and practices and determine with transparency what changes were needed. At Sacred Heart, among faculty, students, alumni, and families, we witnessed a similar passionate drive to analyze our communal and individual experiences. In particular, any that fell out of step with our goals and criteria, our stated values and principles of community, and the very foundations of Catholic social teaching. To ensure honest, open, and clear communication among the wider community, and to tackle some of the concerning issues raised and experiences shared by members of our own Sacred Heart community, the school formed a racial justice task force in the fall of 2020, which consisted of alumni, current high school students, P-12 educators, and parents who engaged in conversation about how to confront racial injustices that have occurred in the Sacred Heart community and understanding that within an historic, systemic, and emotional context. The RJTF met for about a year, and based on requests from letters received by the wider Sacred Heart community, we identified, researched, and formalized four initial areas of exploration to pursue on campus integrating ethnic studies, bias incident reporting and response, culturally responsive STEM education, and restorative justice practices. Restorative justice practices seemed entirely complementary and in line with Catholic social teaching. And while it stemmed out of the work of the RJTF, we found that it was appropriate for any context where harm had been done, whether it was between students, parents, faculty, or staff. Restorative justice asks these six questions. Who has been harmed? What are their needs? Whose obligations are these? Who has a stake in this situation? What are the causes? What is the appropriate process to involve stakeholders in an effort to put things right and address underlying causes? Dr. Susan Sharp, advisor of restorative justice at the University of Notre Dame and author of Restorative Justice, A Vision for Healing and Change, wrote, quote, Restorative justice, like Catholic social tradition, assumes that people have a right to participation in processes that affect them. 
As such, restorative justice seeks to include all the perspectives important for understanding an injustice and for deciding what justice calls for in that circumstance. Restorative justice responds to harm in a spirit of solidarity, that is, by seeing others not as rivals or statistics, but brothers and sisters. Restorative justice sees people not as victims or offenders needing pity or punishment, but rather as people whose lives have intersected through harmful behavior and who need that harm healed and integrated. Restorative justice sees people not as powerless in need of higher authorities to accomplish justice for them, but rather as people to be supported in the work of recovering their safety, reclaiming their dignity, and renewing their place as whole and responsible members of the community. Restorative justice sees people as capable of doing that work and offers practices to help them express their needs, face the effects of their behavior, and take action to restore or strengthen justice for themselves, for each other, and for the communities they are part of." End quote. These are beautiful and lofty ideas. How do we begin this conversation in practice? While some of us enjoy the world of ideas and philosophical meanderings, myself included, restorative justice is ultimately the work of the heart and relationships between complex human beings who each have wonderful qualities along with shadow size that can be uncomfortable and sometimes painful to confront. Restorative justice calls us to step into spaces of vulnerability and trust, that we will not be judged and that we will not pass judgment. How can we, as a community, come together and engage in some of the most challenging and rewarding spiritual and emotional practices there are? Forgiveness and understanding. One of the concrete ways we thought we could begin to practice racial reconciliation, and this year specifically restorative justice, was through a speaker series. We wanted to provide more school-sponsored opportunities to learn and grow together in the context of social awareness and justice. And to be completely candid, this was partially motivated out of a personal desire as a Sacred Heart parent and faculty member to have more ways in which to connect with others across campus who are inspired by the guiding principles of Sacred Heart schools and criteria, which personally was what drew me to work here and send my children here. When we had the opportunity to bring Mr. Hinton to campus, we realized his story and talk addressed all of Sacred Heart schools and criteria, but in particular, goal three, a social awareness which impels to action. Two tenets of goal three include the following, quote, the school, drawing from Catholic social teaching, educates students to analyze and work to eradicate social structures, practices, systems, and values that perpetuate racism and other injustices, end quote. And, quote, the school community engages in direct service, advocacy, outreach, and partnerships to work for justice, peace, and the integrity of creation, end quote. In addition to Hinton's story inviting us to live Sacred Heart's goals and criteria, his story is an incredible example of someone who chose hope and forgiveness instead of despair and hate. Anthony Ree Hinton was a black man who was wrongly accused of theft and murder and was sentenced to death row. He had opportunities to plead guilty and instead spend his life in jail, but he refused to admit to something he didn't do. In the story he tells, he talks about how dehumanizing the entire penal system is, that it is not meant to rehabilitate, but to tear apart any sense of humanity and dignity a person may have left. Mr. Hinton didn't talk for two years in jail. He recalls being put in his cell and tossing his Bible under his bed, not to pick it up again for several years. He was angry, and rightfully so. A grave injustice had been done to him, and for years he had no recourse. Lawyer Brian Stevenson, author of Just Mercy, and who eventually came to defend Mr. Hinton, wrote, quote, our system isn't just being shaped in these ways that seem to be distorting around race. They're also distorted by poverty. 
We have a system of justice in this country that treats you much better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. And yet we seem to be very comfortable. The politics of anger and fear have made us believe that these are problems that are not our problems. We've been disconnected, end quote. In racism and the death penalty compounding systems of dehumanization, the Catholic Mobilizing Network states, quote, over the last decade, CMN's advocacy toward ending the death penalty has revealed the institutionalized racism and discrimination rampant in the U.S. criminal legal system, which has resulted in the over-incarceration of black and brown people, particularly on death row. Misuse and abuse of power perpetuate racial injustice and deny human beings of their God-given dignity. As a community of believers, we are called to engage in racial justice work by dismantling broken systems, including that of capital punishment in the U.S., and building up approaches to justice that are equitable, restorative, and life-affirming." End quote. Anthony Ray Hinton's story not only exposes the injustices of the criminal legal system and the inhumanity of capital punishment, but demonstrates the remarkable ability for us to forgive and acknowledge the God-given dignity within all of us. Archbishop Desmond Tutu described Hinton's story like this, quote, Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison for opposing a racist system in South Africa. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years on death row because a racist system still exists in America. Both emerged from their incarceration with a profound capacity for give. They are stunning examples of how the most horrendous cruelty can lead to the most transcendent compassion. The Sun Does Shine is both a cautionary tale for all who think that a great nation can easily forget its past and inspiring proof of the inability to condemn a man's capacity for hope, love, and joy. An amazing and heartwarming story, it restores our faith in the inherent goodness of humanity. End quote. I will say in a much less eloquent way that Hinton's story had a profound effect on me. I listened to it on Audible as I ran, and there were many days I came back a literal mess of sweat, snot, and tears. There was a group of teachers who read The Sun Does Shine together and discussed it back in November. It seemed to have a similar impact on everyone in the group. One of the many powerful stories Mr. Hinton shares in his memoir, and which he spoke about at our evening event, is how he came to befriend many of the men on death row. One man's name was Henry Hayes, and over time he became Mr. Hinton's best friend on the row. It wasn't until years after this friendship developed that Mr. Hinton learned of Hayes' crime which had put him there. Hayes had been a member of the Ku Klux Klan who lynched a young African-American boy by the name of Michael Donald in Mobile, Alabama in 1982. Hayes' father was the Grand Wizard of the KKK. He grew up learning to hate. Instead of turning his back on Hayes, Mr. Hinton couldn't unfriend him. If anything, he felt for a man who had grown up in a house where he was never given the chance not to hate. Mr. Hinton goes on to write how he formed a book club with some of the men on death row. And when they came to read Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin, Henry Hayes wrote six pages of notes and reflections on the book. And when he learned that James Baldwin was black, it began to dawn on him what the effects of his upbringing had done to him. On the night of his execution, his only request was to have Anthony Ray Hinton by his side. Mr. Hinton had the audience laughing and crying during the time he spent with us. I'd like to share a few reflections from various attendees who were deeply moved by his talk. Quote, Mr. Hinton is the quintessential storyteller. His humility and courage brought his words to life. My favorite part had to be the Q&A portion of the event. This is where Mr. Hinton came alive for me. He spoke with passion and conviction, using his own suffering to ignite a flame in us to take action against an unjust judicial system. 
Although he has a strong presence, he was so disarming that my own fourth grade son had the courage and confidence to ask him a question in front of 300 people. Hinton even asked to take a picture with him with his own camera, illustrating how much Hinton cares for young people. This is how change happens, unquote. Another community member wrote, quote, I saw the power of Anthony Ray Hinton's voice awaken the courage of our community to stand up for what we believe in. Bearing witness to a story is an undeniably strong weapon, probably the most powerful there is, and I hope that we all use his words to do good, end quote. And another, quote, when the talk first started, I wonder if we were going to just hear a few stories from the book, which would not have been very illuminating for those of us who had read it. And while it turned out that most of the stories were familiar, what was striking was how clearly he showed the nobility which got him through this time on death row and beyond, leaving him with a profound sense of mission and no apparent bitterness. He lives out his Christian faith in a way which few people do, end quote. One teacher wrote, Quote, in listening to Ray Hinton with the SHS community, I was struck by how gracious and forgiving of a person Hinton is. For being wrongly convicted and incarcerated on death row for so many years, you would think that Hinton had every right to carry a deep grudge for the injustice he suffered. So it is extraordinary that he was able to find a way to prevent himself from carrying hostility and instead use his experience to share with others like our community, how we can make a difference and right the wrongs unfortunately inflicted on so many others that face similar circumstances at the hands of a faulty justice system. He is truly a role model for students and adults alike, end quote. A parent wrote, quote, hearing Anthony Ray Hinton's story and reading his book profoundly impacted my perspective on capital punishment and social justice. Mr. Hinton's experience highlights the flaws and injustices of the criminal justice system and the importance of ensuring that every person is treated fairly and justly. It's essential to educate ourselves on these issues and advocate for change in systems that perpetuate injustice, end quote. And finally, another teacher wrote, quote, I was moved by his courage and strength as well as his vulnerability. He told his story with raw emotion openly crying at times, allowing the audience to see how deeply his experiences affected him and continue to affect him. He is basically reliving his trauma each time he tells his story, for the benefit of our education, with the hope that his story will move us to use our power to actually do something. I also appreciated his humor, the fact that he was able to hold on to his humanness through everything. He inspires me to be strong through my own struggles in life. We don't have to let horrible experiences and injustice break our spirit. We can keep going and keep fighting. I remember when he made a point to say that the system is not broken. It works exactly how it was designed to work. We need to talk more about the history of policing in the U.S., from slave patrols to convict leasing to mass incarceration. We should talk more about the way incarcerated people are treated, whether they are guilty or not. Prisons are inhumane and do not support true rehabilitation. To paraphrase Angela Davis, throwing people away does not solve social problems. This practice destroys people's lives and disrupts families and whole communities. She said, prisons do not disappear social problems, they disappear human beings. We need to look at who is incarcerated in the first place. People who are undereducated and under-resourced, Black and Latinx people, people of lower intelligence, victims of abuse, people struggling with addiction. Doesn't everyone deserve a place in our society? Why is it so much more likely for certain people to end up incarcerated? We should also talk more about the way formerly incarcerated people are treated after exiting prisons and how we make it basically impossible for them to reintegrate into society. 
from having voting rights stripped away, restricting people's travel and movement, and having difficulty accessing meaningful and high-paying jobs. What would a more restorative approach look like? What kinds of support, resources, and community care would minimize harm and prevent social problems from occurring in the first place? A student from The Heartbeat, SHP's newspaper, asked me why Mr. Hinton's visit is important right now. I answered that I think as a nation we are currently working through a political, social, and cultural climate where there is constant blaming, finger-pointing, and demonizing of those who don't think, look, or act like us. It is really easy to forget our own humanity and the humanity of others when we do that. Mr. Hinton's story is a remarkable reminder that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done, and that not to forgive would only hurt us. I hope we can see that it is brave to forgive and practice compassion, and that we must lean into the discomfort and joy of seeing a person for all of who he, she, they truly are, and not simply for any one thing they have done. And I hope this helps us engage in conversations about bias and race that can be difficult and uncomfortable, but that can also lead to a deeper understanding and empathy, which impel us to action. I believe that the most rewarding work in our lifetime is also the hardest. That involves traveling within ourselves, exploring our own hearts and confronting those things about ourselves that we don't like or that have wronged others. Ironically, I believe this is also the only path to understanding and experiencing authentic joy with our fellow human beings. In one of my favorite books, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, Scrooge's nephew claims, quote, I've always thought of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys, end quote. Instead of simply at Christmas time, what if we carried this spirit the whole year through? What if it was how we chose to live our lives? Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 says, quote, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. End quote. There are so many things in this world that make it too easy for us to focus on how different we are from one another. But this passage always reminds me to ask myself, in what ways does this free me to open my shut up heart? In what ways does it bind me to my fellow human beings? There were points when planning Mr. Hinton's visit when I had to pause and check in with myself and ask myself what was motivating me to do this. I have always loved stories. I became an English teacher because of my love of stories. I've recently been reflecting on the fact that Jesus shared some of his most important lessons through stories. He knew the power that stories had to open people's hearts, encourage them to grow in compassion, and to connect to their fellow human beings. I believe that when we hear a person's story, we cannot help but be moved, and in doing so, we strengthen the fibers that tie us together, and we remember that we belong to one another. Thank you, Maggie, for sharing about Mr. Hinton's life and memoir, his visit, and the ways in which this experience has so positively impacted our community. Thank you, too, for helping us to understand how important faith and restorative justice have been to Mr. Hinton's life and to his advocacy work which calls all of us to, bar in the language of Sacred Heart School and Criteria, to analyze and work to eradicate social structures, practices, systems, and values that perpetuate racism and other injustices, and for us to promote the inherent dignity of the human person, striving for relationships characterized by inclusion and mutual respect. And this concludes another episode of Mission and Meaning. If you have any questions or thoughts, please reach out directly to me, Ben Sue 
at bsu.shschools.org or contact the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy at omcs.shschools.org. At